this morning is I kind of wrestled with what, what to do, what to talk about. You know, Tim, Tim, sometimes when I preach, he says, here's what you're going to preach on. This is your topic. And I say, oh, that's great. Thank you. Makes my life easy. And then sometimes he's like, just preach on whatever you feel like. I'm like, no. I had a wedding this week. I just got back from Hume Lake. I don't want to pick something. But as I, as I reflected, as I thought um, on what to share about, I, I just kept coming back to this night at Hume Lake. Uh, it was Thursday night, and the preacher was in John chapter 13. So that's where we're going to turn if you want to grab your Bibles. John chapter 13, you might know where we're going. If you know the passage, verses 1 through 20. Now this was a, a particularly meaningful night uh, for me as a youth pastor uh, because of what happened not during chapel time at Hume, but what happened during cabin time. Now, if you've been to Hume Lake before, uh, you'll know that like it's super structured, so there's a lot of stuff going on. But every night after chapel, they would have some free time, and then you'd go up to your cabins and hang out as just like all the guys in your church or all the girls in your church or whatever. And you would talk about what the Lord had been teaching you, what he had been showing, showing you that day. So <clears throat> that morning, as I'm in the counselor's meeting, we meet the first thing in the morning to kind of go through the day's events. They told us, we have a really special activity tonight for Thursday night. We have this planned, and we think it'll be great. You're going to go to your cabins, you're going to do cabin time, and then we're going to bring bowls of water and cloths, and you're going to wash each other's feet. And I'm like, no, that's a terrible idea. That's, these are filthy high school boys that have been at camp all week. Uh, they're going to be all giggly because it's going to be awkward and weird. Like, this is not going to work. You know, in my mind, I'm thinking, this is just disaster. So I'm sitting there all day thinking to myself, all right, we've got to do this later. And, and of course, as the youth pastor, like, I've got I to gotta be the one to kick it off, right? Because I can't just hand a bowl of water to a high school and be like, hey, here's what you're doing. So I'm praying, and I'm, I'm kind of thinking through what, what to do. And, and, I, and my prayer for the day was just, Lord, let this not be something that's really awkward and giggly. And the funny thing was is the, the leads that run Hume Lake Ponderosa, the high school camp, said, you know, for the guys all year, it's been this really powerful thing. But for the girls, it's been really like kind of squirrely and giggly and like uncomfortable. And I'm like, no, that, that can't be right. Like, I've been, been in youth ministry for like 15 years. Like the guys are going to be the ones that are going to have trouble with this. And it was totally, totally the way they said. The guys were just, not that the girls were, had a terrible time. I'm not saying that because I think their time was awesome. But it was this just really, really powerful moment for our high school guys. Um, and, and I would encourage you to ask some of them that are in the room here today um, about what that, that night meant for them and their faith. It was one of the most powerful things I've experienced as a youth pastor. And, and basically the, the event was uh, after cabin time, they would, they would tap on the door and they would just leave the, the bowls and the cloths outside the door. And uh, we would finish cabin time and then you would just kind of open it and bring it in. And I, I bring it in and I tell the kids and you kind of felt that like uncomfortable, like, we're going to do what? <laughs> you know, kind of like if I did that here now, if I set some bowls of water up here, the ones I have hidden back here. <laughs> but it was, it was this anxiousness about it, you know, that you could feel it in the room. And as we went, as we washed one another's feet, one of the tasks that they gave us was, to share with one another traits about Christ that we saw in each other. So it wasn't just the washing, but it was also the affirming that happened during that time. And that, in combination with just this humility that it takes to just take a cloth and wash down someone's disgusting high school boy feet, was, was just this amazing moment. 
where the, I think these guys, for the first time, saw what true humility looked like and what Jesus meant when he said that we are to serve one another. And it's that picture I want us to take today into, into this passage as we look at it. So let's turn to John 13. And let's look at these verses here. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And during supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand, his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now let's pause there. Now I want us to not miss a few important things about what's going on. In verse 1, it says, it says that Jesus knew his hour had come to depart the world. And that hour is referring to his time on the cross. So Jesus was ready. It was, it was the night before his crucifixion. He's in the, in the upper room with the disciples celebrating the Passover feast. And he says he knows what's going to happen. He's ready. And yet he knew something exceedingly important about the disciples. He knew that they were not ready. Because time and time again, as Jesus walked in his ministry, you saw the disciples asking, well, when are you going to be the king? When am I going to sit at your right hand? What about your left? When are you going to conquer this horrid government that's keeping us in captivity? Over and over, the disciples showed that they did not understand what Jesus was about to do. And Jesus takes this moment in the upper room to prepare them for what was going to happen to him. Now, they had no idea. They had no idea that just in a few short hours that they'd be praying in a garden and here would come Judas to take Jesus away. Clearly, Peter didn't know because he's trying to hack some guy's ear off with a sword. Secondly, I think it's a reminder for the disciples that Jesus' love for them is unbelievable. That his love for us is so overwhelmingly large that we can't even really comprehend it. Foot washing in first century Judaism was not something that regular people did. Uh, you had slaves and servants that did that for you. So if you were having a party and guests were coming over and they had been traveling a long distance and their feet were disgusting, you know, they, they kind of laid on pillows so like people's feet would be near your face or where you were eating. So you would want them clean, right? It was a, a necessary task that they would perform. But they would never have the, the guests wash each other's feet or the, the host of the party wash the guest's feet. That would never, ever, ever happen. I, I studied several commentaries and they said there is not one instance in all Jewish or Greco-Roman ancient texts that, that shows someone in a position of authority washing someone else's feet. That is a station below them. That, that just never happened. So this is a, an extremely significant event. Now there are a few biblical examples of Jews washing the feet of other Jews. What we have here is just this scandalous violation of a social taboo. Uh, this was not supposed to happen. Jesus basically, in essence, says, I am your Lord, I am your teacher, but what I am doing here makes me the servant and you the master. He was putting himself willingly in a place of submission to them. These guys had been following Jesus for three and a half years. They had seen him do 
unbelievably amazing things. He's risen people from the dead. He's fed 5,000 people with just some bread and fish. They watched him do these things. They knew that he was above them. There was no doubt. He was rabbi. He was teacher. He was Lord. He was master. And yet he's taking the place of this servant. Now, how are we to understand a master who becomes a servant? Or a God who becomes a baby? Or a king who becomes a pauper? Now, for many of us, we have the benefit of being raised in Christendom. So we've had this story of Jesus over and over and over again. So this, this idea of Jesus washing the disciples' feet might not shock us like it should. For these men in that room, it was an absolute travesty that Jesus would even think about doing this. I imagine them just sitting there silently, dumbfounded. What is he doing? And then we have Peter, who speaks up. It was so shocking so offensive what Jesus was doing that Peter had to say something. Now, Peter's the guy that likes to say something anyways. Hey, Jesus, you're walking on the water. Yeah, yeah, I'll come out there. Sure, no problem. That was Peter. Oh, Lord, we're on the Mount of Transfiguration. Your glory is being revealed. We should stay here in tents. That would be great. Right? We just camp out here. This is a good idea. Peter was always saying stupid things. That's why we love him. Uh, the theme, actually, at Hume Lake was I.I. Captain, and it followed the life of Peter. And that's how we got here Thursday night. We've seen Peter fail and fail and fail and fail time and time again. And then they end with him on Friday as, as the rock. But let's look at what Peter says. It's, it's really interesting, this section of Scripture. Starting in verse 6. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet then only, but my hands also and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him. And that was why he said, not all of you are clean. Well, let's go back to Peter for a moment. It's a very similar argument that Peter has with Jesus. Uh, and it reminded me of Matthew chapter 3 when Jesus goes to John the Baptist and he says, you are going to baptize me. And John the Baptist is like, no, no, I need to be baptized by you. Right? And, and there's this conversation that goes on. And Peter, Peter must be thinking, look, uh, you might have done some of the other disciples. They might have let you, but I'm not going to let you. I am not going to let you wash my feet. You are the master, and I am your servant. And, and you know, Peter's a fiery guy. He, he probably was trying to stand his ground on this one. And then the Lord says this, well, that's fine. You're not going to have any place with me then. And it's amazing to me how quickly Peter's tone changes. Oh, okay, well, uh, then all of me would be great. Let's bathe all of me, right? I'm a filthy mess. I've been traveling on the road. I need a bath. I don't want just my feet done. Let's do it all. It seems like a reasonable request. If we knew that Jesus was going to give us something, something beautiful, 
Wouldn't we want more of that complete cleansing? So what's going on here in this passage? Why does Jesus only want to wash Peter's feet? He makes this comment. He says, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. What's he referring to here in this passage? Because for Peter, it seems like this whole exchange is just backwards and inappropriate. Jesus goes on to tell Peter that more is happening here than Peter can even understand at this point. This is not just about some water in a bowl. Something much more profound is going on. Now let's keep in mind first the the sequence of events. So Jesus comes, he's washing the disciples' feet, he gets to Peter, and Peter's like, me, Lord? Really? Peter refuses. Jesus says, that's fine. Peter, you will have no share with me if I don't clean you. And then Peter changes his mind quickly. He says, okay, Lord, wash all of me. And then Jesus tells him, okay, the one who is bathed does not need a full bath, just a foot washing. But I believe that if we keep the main two points about what's going on here in our minds, that it explains the rest of this passage. The first point that we talked about right at the beginning was that Jesus is preparing the disciples for the cross, for that hour in which he would go and suffer. And then he's also demonstrating and defining his love for these men. So that later, after they've all fallen away, after they've all gathered in the room and he comes back to them and they've realized their failures, they can look back on this moment and remember what Jesus had done for them. And isn't that exactly how it is with you and I? We go through these moments of our Christianity where we feel so far away from God. And we struggle with our sin and our guilt and our shame of the past. And Jesus says, look, I've already made you clean. Now you might have some grime on you. And maybe we need to wash your feet and that's okay. But for us as Christians, it's, it's exceedingly important for us to remember that once you've given your life to Christ, once you become a faithful follower of Christ, you don't need to keep giving Him your heart over and over again. He has it already, even if you doubt that in the moment. Now, the truth of the matter is that all of us struggle with our sin. We have moments where, where we're weak, where we fail. There's a reason he says to pick up your cross daily. And I think this idea of foot washing here is a representation of that struggle. That sometimes as we walk, we get a little bit of the world's dirt on our feet. A little of that sin sticks. And it makes us uncomfortable. It makes us unfit to come to the table even. And Jesus says, look, out of my great love for you, You can be forgiven time and time and time again because you've already been made clean. Now, for those of you who have never put your faith and trust in Christ, you don't have that benefit. You should consider that. Because unlike us, your sins are just stacking up against you. And one day the judge will stand before you and you will explain every single one of those sins to him without Jesus as your mediator. That's a scary thought. 
If you haven't given Jesus a chance as your Lord and Savior, if you haven't put him first, come talk to one of the elders or, or myself after. We would love to talk through that with you. But for those of you who have your faith and trust in Jesus now, sin does not hold sway over your life anymore. And that struggle that you feel when you fail is your own. Right now, of course, the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin, tells us the need to repent. What I'm talking about here, though, is those sins that you've already asked for forgiveness for. The ones that you've already given to Jesus and said, Lord, please forgive me. I'm, I'm turning away from this. And then, you know, you get that little voice. You're not good enough. I remember when you did this. I remember your failure here. And brothers and sisters, let me be clear that those voices are not from the Lord. Those are not from the Holy Spirit. Those are from the pit of hell. Because those sins have been cast as far as the east is from the west. That's the promise he's given us. If you go east and west, when can you meet each other? Never. Right? That's an amazing thought. The another thing that we want to kind of point out in this passage is that Judas got his feet washed as well. Now, it doesn't say that Judas was doing okay and then he left and then Satan filled him. It said Satan had already put it in his heart to do this. He'd already made up his mind that he was going to be the betrayer. And yet our Lord bent down and washed that guy's feet too. No different than the others. That's an amazing challenge for us as believers. Because as much as it might make us uncomfortable to wash one another's feet, I bet you if I really pushed you, you would do it. And I think you would be amazed at it. But let me ask you this question. What about those people that really irk you? What about your enemy or your, your neighbor that blasts his music till 3 in the morning? Would you wash their feet? Now, again, I don't want us to reduce this whole activity into some sort of random act of kindness. I do want us as Christians to be kind. But I think there's much more to this passage than just simply washing each other's feet physically. Now, John tells us also in 1 John 1, 8 and 9 that if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. John writes about this idea of cleansing and washing several times throughout his Gospels and, and his, in his other writings. And I believe the idea of, of getting your feet washed is a preparatory symbol for this, this idea that the blood spilt on Calvary washes us clean. Now, Peter makes this, this grand statement. Well, okay, I'm dirty. I need my feet washed, but I want you to also wash all of me. And what was the problem with that request? For us today, it's, it's like saying to the Lord, okay, Lord, forgive me of my sins. I want to trust you. I want to put my faith in you. I believe that you died. You rose from the dead. You're coming back again. We're saying these prayers, and we're saying, okay, Lord, now, in three months, I should say that again. Of course not. G Peter had been walking with Jesus for three and a half years. He knew the Master. He knew him probably better than any other person on earth at this point. Maybe John. He didn't need to have Jesus clean all of him. 
He had already been forgiven of all that stuff. He just needed to have some of that dirt that had been caught up on his feet washed away. Some of that filth from the world. John Calvin defined feet in this passage as, as a metaphor for all the passions and cares by which we are brought into contact with the world. Our feet are a symbol of the filth that we trudge through as we wade through this world of sin and, and as we struggle with our, our failures. It always struck me too that, that Paul says, blessed are the feet of those who bring good news. Because even dirty feet can bring gospel message. That's an amazing thought to me. You don't have to be righteous on your own account to bring the gospel message. You only need to be made righteous by Jesus' account. Now, this act of foot washing was such a beautiful action because it, it talked about the crucifixion and what was to be coming as Christ did his work on the cross. And it reveals to us that the ultimate cleansing that we need to receive can only come from Christ on Calvary. But the most unsettling aspect for us might be yet to come. Because Jesus finishes washing the feet of the disciples and then he gives us this call, a charge to one another that could make some of us very uncomfortable. Let's look at this rest of this passage starting in verse 12. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Now it's easy if I tell you to marvel at the love of Christ that he has for you. You can just think about how wretched you are and then how much grace you've received. And then it's, 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 it's quite another thing when I tell you that this is what Christ has called you to do as well. To wash one another's feet. To be humble and subservient to one another. To serve each other out of love. This is exactly what Christ has done here in this passage. He's called us to follow his example. He said, you ought to wash one another's feet. What does he mean by that? Now, I don't want you to start thinking about all the ways you serve the church or come to work days or serve in Sunday school. That, that's all, those are all great things. And, and God does want us to do those kinds of things. Jesus wants us to serve one another completely to help us as we struggle with our sin to help one another as we struggle with our sin. And even more than that, he's not just asking you to wash the feet of your brothers and sisters in Christ, but he's also asking you to wash those that are enemies, and even enemies of God. I want you to imagine if we live just this one passage out, what that would look like here. Would you want to do that? These radically humble displays of self-giving would bind us together like nothing else. They would create in us an authentic family where we didn't judge one another, but we loved one another despite our failures and our weaknesses. It would empower our witness in the world, in this community, and it would be our witness in the world. 
Because our culture would stop looking at the church with such disdain and disappointment. And they would look at the church and say, I, I feel like I want that, and I don't have it. I truly believe that this is one of the reasons the gospel is stalled here in America. Because we have it too easy. We think too highly of ourselves. We think we're more important than we, we ought to think. And we're good with serving with tasks and doing things, duties and things in the church that, that need to get done. Those are easy things. I can give you a list of 100 things that need to be done around here. But if I tell you that one of our brothers or sisters is struggling with sin or, or struggling with fear and doubt, it's a lot harder for us to come around them and wash them off and pick them up and say, let's, let's go down this road together. I've been there. That's what Jesus was doing here in this passage. He was telling these disciples, look, I know you're a mess. I know you're going to be failures. I mean, it's not even going to be a few hours from now. They're all going to be taken off, especially Peter. And yet he still performs this action, and he still reminds them, hey, I want you to serve one another in this way. And that is still true for us today. He wants us to serve one another in this way today. Brothers and sisters, what does that look like? I can't tell you all the ways. you just got to open your eyes and ask the Lord to show you. How can I serve my brothers and sisters? How can I pick them up when they're in the dirt? There are a lot of people, even in this room, that are struggling, even right now. They need their church family to come around them and pick them up. That's what it looks like to serve one another. That's what it looks like to wash each other's feet and to be that example for the world where the world looks at us and says, I need that. I need to be a part of that because there's nothing in my life that's even close to that authentic or that real or that beautiful. So humble yourselves, church family. Put yourself slow. Serve one another. Wash each other's feet. And let's see what the Lord does with that call. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together.